Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello, welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. Today, Asia Tech Podcast stories, we're going to unpack the Tokyo startup scene, the Tokyo ecosystem, learn a little bit about what's going on in the tech scene. To help us do that, I'm joined by Simon Kim, who's the founder and CEO of FastX in Japan. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, we're just talking about off air. We've got a, a common shared history in a way. We both come from Europe to Japan. We both live in Tokyo. You've obviously come mm-hmm. from Germany. Originally, yep. Not obvious by looking at your name that you come from Germany through London to Hong Kong mm-hmm. to yep. Japan eventually. That's right. You're Korean by ethnicity. Tell us a little bit about your background and how did you sort of arrive at this sort of very roundabout way of getting into Japan? And then we'll talk a bit about FastX. Um, yeah, sure. So my uh, I, I was born uh, and raised in Germany. I went to high school there. Uh, after graduating there, I went to uh, university in uh, in the UK. I worked for uh, a good uh, ten years uh, in the in the in the city in the financial district in London, um, and was then posted with uh, the bank I was working at the time, which uh, happens to be a Japanese bank uh, called Mizuo um, Securities, and I was posted with them to Hong Kong. Um, and then in Hong Kong, I lived uh, another seven years, and then I moved to Tokyo just about a year ago. Right. So you've been in Tokyo yeah. for a year. When you came yeah. to Tokyo, you set up FastX? Exactly, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's understand a little bit about FastX first. I mean, it's described, mm-hmm. I've seen it written as a startup accelerator. You provide mentorship mm-hmm. and business support. You have a workspace, a co-working space, is that in Aoyama, which is a pretty... exactly. Upmarket yeah. end of Tokyo, isn't it? I mean, it's quite a fashionable part of Tokyo. So, in your own yeah, words, what is FastX? Um, yeah. So, basically, uh, originally, when we were considering to expand our uh, investment horizon beyond Hong Kong and, and Singapore, we thought of uh, the different uh, cities and, and 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 areas in Asia, um, and then obviously Japan and Tokyo sprang to mind. Um, and then having an eye on the Olympics and, and obviously the heightened focus uh, on Japan over the next three years at the time, it was, uh, it was, uh, three years at the time, two years from now on, um, we thought that uh, expanding into Japan would make a lot of sense. Um, and But rather than, we're running an angel fund in Hong Kong, rather than setting up an off, basically a subsidiary of our angel fund in, in Japan and then just running around trying to find uh, decent startups to invest into, we thought we use a, a slightly different strategy whereby we would create and set up an accelerator uh, platform um, that uh, that offers workspace and community, uh, co-working as well at the same time. Um, and uh, and we, 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 we basically offer um, uh, prices, so cash uh, checks to to tech startups, um, this is by uh, or through uh, uh, quarterly competitions mm-hmm. that we're that we're hosting, uh, and the winner gets a check, uh, it's two point five million yen, um, and workspace. Um, and then the idea is to to grow the community and obviously, hopefully, um, uh, get a little bit 
uh, better known uh, in the tech community in, in, in Tokyo and then have uh, stronger, stronger co- companies applying. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a bit about what it is that you're trying to do in Tokyo and why, you sure. know, why do we need fast techs? Just so the listeners can understand. I mean, any of the listeners that have been to Tokyo may be familiar with the area that you're based in, Aoyama, mm. which is, yeah. I guess most people will know Shibuya, Motesanda, that, may, mm. that sort of central area. W- why did you choose that? Because I guess that's a kind of an expensive area to put a, a co-working yeah. space Yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, at the time when we were looking at uh, uh, office space large enough to house uh, uh, about 30 to 35 people, um, we're looking at various different options. Um, most of the, I mean, if, if you are in tech, um, then I guess something like 90% of the, of the homegrown startups would, would actually look for offices in Shibuya, um, mm-hmm. by definition, uh, because they would want to have that Shibuya address. Um, so we looked at that, but then at, at the time when, when we were looking, um, the, the office occupants, uh, uh, uh the office, um, uh, availability in Shibuya was, was just very, very low. We didn't see much interesting stock. And then we branched out a little bit further to Akasaka Aoyama area, which is still only mm. two, three subway stops away from Shibuya. Um, found a very, very nice space and a pretty cool looking building. That's true. The area is kind of a little bit more high end. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we created, uh, um, uh, this, this workspace, it has three and a half meter high ceilings, very airy, it has no partitions. We had a specific designer help us out. Um, uh, so, so it's just a little bit different. We're trying to actually bring a bit of a Western influence um, mm. to, to, to Tokyo so that when startups come in and they walk through the door, they already know that, that this is not a regular kind of like uh, setup, um, that we're doing things a little bit differently. A Western influence, how do you do that? Um, well, I mean, it starts with design, um, and then obviously, I mean, so for example, me myself, I don't speak any Japanese. I'm not right. that well, anyways. So the main language here is is actually English. Uh, although we do encourage uh, um, local Japanese startups also to apply, we do everything in, in, in every all of our social media posts uh, and everything else is is done in uh, both in Japanese and in English. Um, so, uh, yeah, so then they come to us. So when they hopefully have an idea that works quite well in Japan, that we can obviously help them to expand overseas. Right. Got it. So that will be the angle. Um, because, um, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think most people that have been to Japan and just due to the history, uh, is, has been quite closed off. Um, mm. so, so there's just a few elements that obviously could be, could be quite helpful here in, in, in Japan. Right. Right. Uh, you've kind of answered the question for me. I was going to ask mm. about your languages because obviously yep. you've come to Japan from the outside. Mm. Uh, obviously, you speak English, German, yep. Korean. So-so. Uh, right, okay. Great, yeah. You could probably yeah. hear it very well if it's sort of your mother. Exactly, yeah, that's like. exactly right. Okay. And so you didn't speak any Japanese or maybe you picked up a little bit from your previous employers before you mm. came here. But did, yep. did that phase you at all? I mean, you were going into Japan to start a business. You didn't mm. really speak business Japanese or any kind of working Japanese. Was that an issue for you coming here? I mean, so basically, if you use Hong Kong as an example, I mean, obviously, Hong Kong was a British colony previously. And um, if, you, if you, as an expat, move to Hong Kong, uh, then you, you actually get by with English quite well if you live in certain areas. Mm. Um, Tokyo has less 
foreigners or less expats uh, percentage-wise than, than Hong Kong. But uh, in our experience, and we did a little bit of research on this, if if you're already in tech and you're trying to you're, you're setting up a startup or you're you're about to set up a startup, then a lot of the founders, if they're Japanese, then they would already read a lot of uh, documentation and, and, and a lot of uh, content uh, in English anyway. So they're actually kind of okay understanding English. So the speaking uh, uh, side is maybe a little bit more tricky. But the way that we solved the problem is that right in the beginning, I was looking for a senior hire to help us out here or help me out here at FastX which then happened to be uh, a friend uh, of, of, of mine who used to work in Hong Kong also as a banker um, who is a Taiwanese Japanese. Mm -hmm. So so basically he looks after all of the Japanese uh, communication on behalf of FastX, whereas I do all the English ones. So, and that works really quite well. Mm. Uh, we've been doing this for about a year and, and pretty smoothly actually these days. I suppose it's self-selecting as well, isn't it? Because the kind of people attracted to what you offer are possibly the Japanese who are more sort of outward looking. You know, if somebody exactly. didn't speak English and was scared by it, then you'd already exactly. have pre-qualified, haven't you? So you, you're exactly it, which I helps mean, you, isn't it, for the kind of offer that you have? Exactly, that's true. Um, and but at the same time, we're still trying to uh, reach out to very uh, uh, local Japanese founders that may not have had that much contact previously, because right. the ideas might still be good. Right. Um, they may just need a bit of mentorship and maybe even uh, financing or, or whatnot. So uh, we try to reach out to them just as much as, as, as bilingual or, 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 uh, or Japanese English or Japanese French or whatnot. Right. Founders, right? So. OK, so I, I want to ask you about why we need your, you know, why do we need FastX in Japan? What, what's sort of missing? And I want to preface that there was. I don't know if any of the listeners picked this up. There's an article written in the FT um, mm -hmm. about six months ago by Louise Lucas, which headlines, Japan needs to start properly funding domestic startups. Mm -hmm. And it goes into detail about how, you know, Japan has a startup scene. A lot of the funding is, is led by corporate accelerators. Mm -hmm. and, and very, I mean, SoftBank obviously skews the whole statistics on the mm. startup funding in, in Japan. Is, mm. there, is there something that was broken in the, the startup model that you came to fix? Is that why we needed FastX? Or did you just think it was such a, a fast expanding market that, you know, everyone could get a piece of the action? I mean, to yeah, there's a, there, there are a number of reasons as to why we chose Japan. Um, in terms of problem uh, uh, solving or fixing, I mean, one of the, and you, you touched upon that, uh, fundraising, there are actually a lot of funds or, or reasonable amount of funds available uh, to tech startups uh, in Japan um, if you know where to go and if you, know, if you know where to apply to for certain competitions, accelerators and so forth. But you're right that a lot of the funding is actually coming from the corporate world where, where actually um, the corporates, which are obviously also trying to jump on the boat that other corporates are doing in other countries, and, and the VCs are also doing, um, but somehow there's a bit of a disconnect. Uh, uh, number one, in the uh, in the interests, uh, in the in the in the, what they want to get out of the startup. So if they if they're funding an independent startup, they may eventually want to fold the technology and the startup into the company, into their own co corporate uh, company. So so that may not necessarily work for the founders um, who may or may not have known that to begin with. There's a bit of a hierarchical issue where the 
where the manager that's supposed to look after the startup is 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 maybe slightly older right, um, yeah. and not so familiar with the investment uh, um, management uh, environment. So we, we've heard quite a lot of negative examples, and uh, and I've been told by founders that they'd rather not take money from CVCs these days. Um, so so therefore, of course, and then FastX, and there's other accelerators, of course, that have that have come to Japan in the last uh, 20, 12 to 24 months. So there's a lot of foreign accelerators here now, and we're trying to bring not only cash, uh, but also mentorship, uh, expertise uh, on the business uh, operational strategy, but also on the on the engineering side, even mm-hmm. right. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of engineering talent in in Japan, um, but a lot of it is to do again is also with uh, with lack of entrepreneurship. Um, being being an entrepreneur in Japan traditionally has more been brick and mortar businesses like running a ramen shop or opening a hairdresser. Uh, right? I mean, isn't it? Yeah. exactly. So very. Very brick and mortar. Uh, there, there are actually more hairdressers in in, in, in Japan than there are uh, yeah. companies, right? Yeah. So that's a staggering number. But when it comes to tech startups, and <clears throat> let's say you were uh, you're talking to a very talented uh, a graduate coming from a, a, a strong university in Tokyo or, or elsewhere, then he or she would normally have the choice to join a big blue chip company mm. or set up a startup, and they would traditionally choose the big big blue chip company. Right. Right. Uh, it- because yeah, it's okay. almost like a being a, being an entrepreneur is like an alternative lifestyle here, isn't it? It's you know, exactly, but or it's has been until recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a negative, right? Because whereas in in the US or in the UK or even in Germany or even in Hong Kong now or in Singapore, it's cool to set yeah. up your own startup and there there could be a lot of potential. And if you of course find an exit, you could become very rich and and, and so forth and so forth. But in Japan, it's it's it, because traditionally, it's anyway, it's been a very low risk kind of country. Yeah. Um. You're not you're not being rewarded being being a uh, the founder of a, of a startup because if you want to go to the bank, if you want to speak to anyone, if it, your credit risk, your credit worthiness is much less than being a very small number working for a big blue chip company than being right. the number one in a small company. Yeah. Right. So there's a bit of a there's a bit of a disconnect to to uh, large parts of, of 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 the Western world, really. Yeah. So that needs to be obviously corrected somehow. Right? This is really important to the the grassroots startup ecosystem, isn't it? It's the stuff which it doesn't show up when you do the surveys, you know, when you exactly. look at you know the capital or the access to talent or you know the access to the market. It's it's how people think about entrepreneurship. And it's one of the challenges you have in Japan, isn't it? Because there's a couple of things going on. On the one hand, as you identify, Simon, there's like, you know, there, there's a, a risk aversity. You know, why be a startup founder when you can go and work for Mitsubishi or National or whoever, right? Exactly. You know? And can do that for 40 years because exactly. <laughs> yeah. the lifelong employment law is still uh, right. Uh, embedded, right? So. It means that as long as you have a permanent full-time job, you can't get fired. So exactly. it's it's kind of like you you prefer safety over uh, security over insecurity, right? So it's like it's very interesting here. Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it? That that that's the, almost the default position which you're you're pushing uphill against. But there's a lot of people out there who want to change, but they're mm. kind of like you know they're 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 disparate. They're like a a diaspora of entrepreneurs throughout Japan who kind of need the. Yeah dots joining i guess that's where you come in the, the second thing i, mean, I want to ask you about it is mm. 
the entrepreneurship challenge in Japan is that there's a distinct lack of stories. Mm. And so, for example, if you think about who are the famous Japanese entrepreneurs, I mean, outside of Japan, few people would have known of a mm. Japanese entrepreneur. I mean, maybe they know of like Akio Morita or Ibuko, mm. or, you know, some of the, the founders of Sony or so on. Yep. However, I mean, in Japan, you've got Masayoshi Son, who, who's Korean, mm. right? Which mm. is ethnically kind of, Korean. Yeah, ethnically Korean. Born sorry. and raised in Japan. Yeah. Well. Okay. So he's yeah. Japanese, but he's, he's mm. ethnically Korean, which is interesting because, you know, I wonder, does it take somebody like that? Because he would have been brought up slightly differently. He had a slightly different mm. outlook. He would have faced a lot of, you know, he would have faced a lot of struggle through his, mm. his you know, early years because he, you know, he did have the Korean backgrounds. Therefore, he would have, you know, maybe not had the opportunities other people would have had presented to him. So, mm. you know, does it take somebody like that from the outside to write those stories? I mean, I, I'm asking you because you're obviously you're in that position as well. Is that, you know? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is that that you're right. There are there aren't that many uh, success stories in in the tech world. I mean, of course, you had Line, who had a very very big IPO. Uh, uh, a couple of years back. Uh, last year, interestingly, we had some uh, newer tech companies doing reasonably good IPOs. So one is Wantedly, which is that social media HR yeah. uh, uh, startup. Another one is uh, Money Forward, which is a cloud-based accounting software that we also use, which is which is very, very good. Um, but then the IPO valuations haven't been huge. Um, it's not like that there's so many unicorns lining up everywhere in Japan. That's one. And then the the other one is actually as opposed to in the U.S. where where you get um, as you're starting and growing a company, you're, you you tend to share founders in the U.S. tend to share equity very early on with the mm -hmm. rest of the with the rest of the founding team and even senior management. Uh, that doesn't tend to happen so much in Japan. Um, so that means that this I don't know if you're aware of the PayPal mafia. Uh, yeah, of fact, right? So it's, yeah. it's those guys that set up PayPal at the time. They all obviously became very, very rich and wealthy. Through well, Elon Musk is a good Yeah, example. everyone really, right? And then they all set up their own little ventures, uh, whether it's another startup or whether it's an accelerator, whether it's a VC fund. So the money then trickles down and funds a lot of new, very interesting startups. And that effect is still missing. Right, right? right. So, so there's a few things. Um, but, uh, but from what I hear... I was talking to a, a friend of mine who was a principal in a, uh, at a very uh, big VC fund here in Japan, um, and they stipulate that when they make an investment that this equity share, share option scheme must be part of the structure, otherwise they wouldn't make the investment. So it, things are changing. Right, right. Yeah, often, I mean, as is the history of Japan, change often comes from the outside, doesn't it? And, exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, you only look at the history of the, the clans that came from the West and ended the, you know, the, the Meiji period with the, yep. or the samurai period, effectively. It, yep. it was the ideas that came from the outside and the weaponry that they brought and so on. So it, it's sort of a, a pattern, and I think that benefits Japan in the long run. It becomes more robust. Mm. And if you mm. look at, you know, the the history of Japan in in the post-modern age, I mean, in the industrial age, in the, mm. the building of the automotive success story of Japan and so on, they learned exactly, all of that yeah. from America. I mean, they sent mm. all their guys to Detroit to learn how Ford Motor Company built their systems mm. and so on. So they have that history of looking outside and taking what works and taking it back in and, you know, making a better version of that, right? So that's yeah. not an unusual concept for them. So I guess, mm. you know, 
I wonder if what you're doing is kind of trying to kickstart that in Japan now by saying, hey, look, you know, these ideas work in the valley, they work in Europe. Mm. Let's bring some of that in. So, you know, I mean, to yeah, what exactly. extent are you trying to implant that in the Japanese ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, we're obviously trying to uh, to add value where we can. Um, I mean, <clears throat> one of the newest ideas that we now have is to set up a, a venture builder. I mean, this is still in the conceptual stage, but uh, meaning that uh, we we actually help actively the right founders to build and scale their business. So. Uh, obviously, uh, what we have here at FastX already, this is something that we provide to all our members is we have accounting, we have legal, we have headhunting already uh, available on our platform. We have the working space. And then, of course, for the winners, they get a check. So in addition to this, um, there may be uh, a, a, a founder pair that we've met that are very strong on the business side, but not they're lacking the development side of things. Mm -hmm. So that the actual technical side of things or the other side as well. So we met a couple of developers or programmers that have very good ideas but don't have the business acumen. So this venture builder could actually complement and then help whichever way uh, of the founder team to then hopefully grow and, and scale very quickly. Right. So we're thinking about this concept, which is very, very new. No one's ever done this in Japan as far as we know. So so that would be like a plug and play, scale your startup type Exactly. Setup. So that'll okay. be, yeah, there's a lot of uh, this type of venture builders around in, in, in the US. Right. Very, right. A big one is in Germany, is a rocket internet. That's yeah, one of the yeah. largest yeah. ones in Europe. And then the idea is that you share the same platform. Obviously, that makes it more efficient and cheaper by providing it to maybe four or five companies at the same time. Um, and then also as they are, the, the needs are re required, uh, help them with the development side or help them with the, the strategy side or, or, or other things, marketing, sales, business development, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, let's dive into some of the, the, the companies and the startup founders that are coming to you. Obviously, whatever's public, please share with us. I want to I know really what Japan and especially Tokyo, what, what is it doing right in terms mm. of what is the sort of typical startup founder in japan i mean a little bit different to what you find in other countries other markets you've obviously experienced a lot in different markets mm -hmm. so we, we've obviously talked about the issues the challenges entrepreneurship that sort of risk adversity and may, maybe a lack of process understanding mm -hmm. the process you know the best practices and so on but in comparison it, do they have any kind of strengths that they sort of excel on in comparison yeah, I mean, to other countries yeah, so Japan, um, traditionally, uh, a lot of the industry is, uh, is, is, is based in manufacturing. So uh, hardware um, manufacturers uh, or manufacturing was, was very big. And so as of, off of that, um, there are a lot of uh, hardware startups that have actually uh, been incorporated. Um, we invested into one. Um, another area is, uh, is AI. Um, AI is very, very interesting in Japan. There's a lot of uh, startups in, in that field. Um, one of the slightly larger AI uh, startups, um, the founder is, is, a, is, a, is a friend of mine um, who, uh, who set up three years ago an AI startup called Cogen Labs. And they're basically, they, their first product was a platform that can read and identify with a high recognition rate, above 99% Japanese handwriting. Hmm. So this is something that no one's ever done in Japan. Right, right. Uh, and, and, and you obviously know that in Japan, a lot of the 
uh, a lot of the companies still employ very um, hands-on filling out forms by manually yeah. uh, by hand and and someone has to then take the data and punch it back into 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 the database and then this kind of software would just help with this kind of process makes it much faster much much cheaper much more efficient right yeah. so there are AI, AI companies like this um, on the same side there there are robotic startups I mean which is obviously uh, uh, connected to hardware uh, which are very very strong um, e-commerce there's some um, I mean there obviously you have the Rakutens and and, uh, and and the so forth so there are there are certain pockets but by and large, um, yeah, for us, we're, we're, we're not specialized in any vertical. We're, we're trying to keep an open mind and see hopefully the best ideas that come along. We'll try to support those. Right. Yeah. A couple of areas you've mentioned, very interesting, because what I want to ask you is about how you invest around the fundamentals in Japan, because Japan has a, a very unique set of fundamentals. And mm-hmm. that is, I mean, people are probably aware that Japanese people live very long, time mm. you know the average age is i can't even pull off the top of my head but the number of centenarians in Japan, 80s, i think yeah exactly yeah. i mean especially when you go outside of tokyo into mm. the rural areas you see how many old people there really are so mm. but the, the flip side of that is okay great long life but they mm. have a population issue which is japan's 127 million today but mm. within 30 years that's going to fall to mm. below 100 million so you've got 30 million yep. people disappearing Mm. out of the market and not a lot of immigration to make up the numbers so Mm. when you have a look at that obviously that's going to affect a lot of industries it's going to affect real estate it's going to affect Mm. services does that sort of shape the way that you look at the the challenges that you're trying to solve does it sort of make you biased towards one type of solution i mean Obviously, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're aware of the demographic um, changes in Japan. Um, and that's where, where it's interesting that a lot of the startup founders, they, they, they may be young in the early to mid to late 20s, uh, but they already know that at some point they need to expand beyond Japan because they know that the population numbers are shrinking, of course. So, so in order to achieve that, of course, they need to scale and get to a certain size and have products available. But once they have done that, what do they do after that? So they would then, they're actually quite open to, to talk to foreign investors or, or mentors or just make connections mm. in general. I mean, there's a lot of tech conferences these days in, in, in Tokyo. So they, they just come and, and go there, even if they just had at an idea stage themselves and try to make the connections and and even sometimes broken English, which is still uh, amazing, right? Because Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage to go somewhere and speak in a language that's not your own, right? So, um, yeah. So we look specifically for startups that we can obviously scale outside. Um, And, uh, and yeah, so that's uh, that's part of our strategy. Right. Because that's a real change, isn't it, for Japan? Because its market, effectively, the domestic market isn't as big as what it could be and compare that to the rest of the world. I mean, if you were to compare that to Korea, for example, mm. you know, Korea has a very small domestic market by comparison. Exactly. But, yeah. You know, everybody in Korea is geared towards export really. I mean, mm. if you look at the success of the automotive or companies yeah. like LG or Samsung, the, mm. the reason why they've come to dominate globally is because they have to, right. They have to mm. learn how to export they can't sort of rely on their own internal market can they so mm. that requires a mindset shift do you 
I mean, obviously, you've got that self-selection of startup founders coming through the door, speak mm. English or are open to speak English. Do, do you find you in in mentoring these startup founders, there's a bit of reprogramming, if you like, that needs to happen for them to gear up towards getting global? I, mean, I think, I think, actually, in all honesty, honestly, uh, honesty, that most of the startup founders are aware. Uh, what needs to be done. Um, they're obviously usually a little bit younger, so they're a little bit more uh, innovative, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more outside-the-box thinking. Uh, I mean, there's there's obviously, um, once you start joining this big corporate machinery, uh, like in any other country, uh, you're kind of like boxed in, and then you, 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 you in Japan, more, more so than in other countries, you're not rewarded for thinking outside the box. Mm. So uh, the young founders that come to us, they're actually pretty open-minded already. Um, so it doesn't require so much, you know, nudging along, uh, trying to keep it international or an open mind. It's, it's actually quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. th- they would be outliers already within their sort of peer Exactly. Assessment. Okay. Yeah, then, yeah. That's really interesting. And there's a lot of focus, isn't there, recently on, on I've heard stuff in Japan about side business, you know, which is in a way it's sort of aimed at the corporate salary man you know the, the, oh, yeah. which is you know you could start a side business which you might do it to, to supplement your income or mm. because it's interesting and you know they don't have the sort of the mind-numbing corporate like you know job on their mind all the time they're thinking about you know whether it's starting their sort of like you know their their hobby business or building mm. an online business or so on but it's yeah. still you know it's a weekend thing it's almost like a hobby so there's still there's still a lot of work to do isn't there that you know it's not go and start a startup yeah. it's still yeah like, and the, you know yeah that's true that's true i mean the issue there actually is sorry to interrupt but is that um there's a bit of a lack on the programming side as well so if you want to do something online then you need to know how to you know, you need to know how to ba- do basic programming. Mm. So, and that's another thing that we that we uh, uh, recognized a few months back, and that's why we even started uh, uh, offering basic Python uh, introductory classes right. at, very, at a very very uh, uh, low price uh, because we want to basically capture salarymen and office ladies that have always thought about, oh, how does it work? We don't even know how to do it. And then they, they just come with their laptops, they plug in, we tell them what program to download, we have a very good teacher, um, because we think that's part of the process, because there's mm-hmm. not enough people that know how to program to begin with. There's, obviously, you go back a few years earlier, um, uh, programming education at the high school is, is actually behind uh, most other countries. If you want to use Korea, Korea is introducing compulsory uh, uh, programming classes from this year. Um, in Japan, it's probably in 2020. So that'll be two years behind. Um, in the UK, there's already programming classes in some high schools um, and so forth. So, so things take a bit longer. But so I think the private sector obviously can help by offering and not charge an arm and a leg. Uh, and that's what we are trying to do. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating because I think a lot of people assume and the people I know in my network who have never been to Japan or, or experienced it on any sort of long-term basis assume that Japan's a very technological country, which mm. it is, but at the individual level it isn't, you know, mm. that this is still a country that uses fax machines, right? Exactly. That's a very good example. I use that too. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, obviously you could spend a lot more time going into that, but just mm. take it, for the listeners, just take it as accepted. They still use faxes here and they still fill mm. out forms with pencils, right? As you, mm. you talked about the handwritten stuff. But, yeah. you know, I think there's this sort of, there's this Japanese vibe, which I, I want to 
just run by you because obviously you're you're seeing these startup founders coming, but you know the, these Japanese. I think one thing that they have, which they have in like you know uh, uh, volumes compared to the rest of the world, is this real passion to make things. Mm. And you look at the history of like artisans in Japan. You know, mm. whether it's somebody making lacquerware or making a mm. sword or even like making a pair of jeans, they can get yeah. really passionate about it. Food's a great example of that, right? Mm. Do you see that reflected in the startups as well? I mean, how does that sort of translate into the world of startups? I mean, it's obviously, um, you're, you're right in saying that, uh, that Japanese people as a, as, a, as a whole take a lot of pride in what they do. Uh, and that's why they're so good at it. There's a lot of passion. There's this kind of, um, they, they strive almost to perfection, right? Try to do it as, as, as best as possible, uh, as, as, as uh, maybe design friendly, as, as pretty as possible in the most efficient way. So, so yes, it's true. On the startup side, uh, ultimately, I think that a lot of the founders um, really become, become uh, begin, uh, begin to realize uh, very early on that running a company they have to actually give up some uh some things so having this kind of idea of 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 running the perfect startup doesn't exist ultimately right so um there are so many things to juggle there will always be something that goes wrong i mean that's that's uh, there's no doubt so um the question is more how do they deal with the failures right and that's the bigger challenge because failure is actually frowned upon as well by japanese society traditionally so so to take the so to speak, the the knock on the chin, and then just continue going. That's that's maybe uh, a part where where they need a bit more encouragement um, because it's not easy to run a startup by any yeah. means. Yeah, that, that's so. interesting how you say it because even though they may have this 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 cultural strength of making things, which you thought mm. would translate well into making code or making, you know. Hardware apps or exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You kind of need yeah. a little bit of a different mindset, almost mm. like the the Facebook hacker way. You know, done is better than perfect. You've got to ship something early, mm. even if it's not perfect. Mm. It's half baked in a way, as long as it's not it, it works. As long fine. as it's working, right? Yeah. Right. And get feedback and so on. It's a little bit of a different mindset, isn't it? To then mm. the the artisan who makes a sword, because they, they just sort of go out there and just keep perfecting and perfecting and perfecting, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, these are the cultural issues of, of startups in Japan, but that's why I think what you're doing, bringing these ideas from the outside and bringing the best practices of what works in different ecosystems to Japan is only a good thing, right? Because mm. they can learn. And Japanese okay, people yeah. like learning and absorbing. So, mm. you know, for the right people, that will work. Yeah. So, okay. You, one thing you mentioned, I think it's worth saying as well, is about failure in Japan. And I, I yeah. don't know, what was the situation now? I mean, that if, if I was to start a startup in mm. somewhere like Silicon Valley, I could fail the startup, walk away with the debts and just write them off. In mm. Japan, debt's a bit of a different issue, isn't it? That, you know, if you fail the yeah. business, you still, it, they, they'll follow you forever after that debt. In, oh, that's how it traditionally was. I mean, is that changing? I mean, and that's where um, technology startups have, uh, have an advantage, right? Because you you would raise uh, funding uh, through equity. So there's no debt involved. Um, mm. No one is going to write a loan uh, to you. Uh, and by taking equity, the, 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 the investor would then become a shareholder and takes uh, also full responsibility in, in case something goes wrong. They will have to just write off their investment. 
Um, so that makes it easier, actually, uh, to, to, to run a business, uh, fail, and then hopefully get up again and do it again, but just do it better, right. um, which is that serial entrepreneurship uh, uh, model that comes from the U.S., but it's not so common in general in in in, uh, in Japan because you know having f- failed um, you know there's still a bit of a stigma attached to it. But it's all changing. It's all getting much 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 better because mm. there's a difference whether you run a technology startup company for nine months and then change to something else. I mean that's why there's actually a pivot as well. You can actually change it for as long as you have enough uh, cash available. Um, and so yeah, so that shouldn't really be a problem. That 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 following you for the for the rest of your life right Uh, it's a major issue isn't it i mean as well you say that it's not the norm there's still a lot of startup founders that i know who would go to the bank Mm. and get a loan because that's all they know because Mm. especially in japan you can get a bank loan at one percent more or less which is almost free money Mm. isn't it so it's sort of the default isn't it that that's one of the easy way to get money but also one of the reasons which will stop them starting a startup because they're worried about bank debt as opposed to yeah. going to an angel investor who understands what the risk is and is you know they understand that that's part of the game whereby um i think um that usually even the 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 tier two or tier three banks would not normally lend money to a t- technology startup mm. uh as far as i know um because um they, they wouldn't take the risk onto their balance sheet so so because bank uh, financing is not available to, to, the, to these tech startups, they would then have to ultimately go into the, into the uh, speak to angel investors and VCs po- uh, possibly or, or seed money uh, investors uh, for, for equity, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's, it's almost like uh, they have no choice because um, it'll be easier to just borrow money and default, right? Rather than taking equity and giving away shares in your own company. Right, yeah. so that's why the debt part comes actually after uh, the equity financing part, but um, but yeah, you're right. So I think, but that's actually that's posing another challenge because, uh, as you said, um, a lot of the Japanese are actually not aware of equity financing, so they're just mm-hmm. not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So we've had conversations with actually quite promising startups, and then obviously as we come in, we would then need to know. What is the valuation of the startup? So we know that how many shares do we own after we make an investment? And then that part, uh, a lot of the Japanese founders struggle to to conceptually to understand. Mm. Um, and that's ultimately, I mean, you cannot, that's in any other country in the world as well. Like, how do you derive your valuation of a startup that doesn't have any financials, right? I mean, they're, they're not profitable. Um, so what, what valuation doesn't have? Closer to one million or closer to five, right? So... And that's the part that's still confusing for a lot of people anyways. And it's a bit of a stabbing in the dark, but magic kind of thing. But, um, but there are very reasonable ways of looking at it. Um, but it seems that in Japan, a lot of the founders that we, or some of the founders that we've spoken to found, found it uh, quite difficult and, and we couldn't convince them. Right. And therefore, they didn't accept uh, our offer eventually, right? But that, 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 that takes time, doesn't it? That you can't educate the whole market yourself that mm. the market needs to educate itself become mm. more mature doesn't it in the sense that it gets the examples yeah. once those founders have examples to gauge their valuations or their behavior by then it becomes so much easier doesn't it but this is typical of 
any evolving ecosystem it's early stages isn't it that yeah exactly you know you're dealing with a market where there's a lot of unknown and mm. you know that a lot of it you can't control in in many mm. sense but it that will work itself out over time ultimately. hopefully yeah yeah i mean it's just education ultimately right it makes sense in in uh, everywhere else in the world uh to to have equity financing coming in and the reason is because if your company is valued x today you might as well uh, uh, sell 10% of that company and hope yeah. at the same time that with the 10% money that you're getting in, that you grow the company five times over the next two years, mm-hmm. right? And then the valuation is, going to go, is obviously going up five times and the 10% that you would have sold today would only help you to get there, at which point you raise more money. Mm-hmm. So you're not actually losing out financially, right? Because you're just using the, the, the funding that comes in to grow your company and that's the whole idea. So once that actually... Uh, uh, becomes a bit more popular once once people understand and I think obviously in the the tech scene anyways understands these days then this type of conversation gets a bit easier yeah Mm. very much so well let's talk about evolving ecosystems in the education part I want to move the focus to Fukuoka I spent quite a bit of time in Fukuoka going backwards and forth from Tokyo Mm. and for the listeners who don't know where Fukuoka is it's sort of as far away from Tokyo as you can get, really, on, in Japan, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's you know, right. Unless you start going out into the islands. But it's right. it's the West Coast, I suppose, in a way. And it's with Tokyo, it's the only two cities with the growing, with a long-term growth, positive yep. growth in population. So that's, you know, going mm-hmm. back to the fundamentals earlier. But, you know, the reason why I ask is, is Fukuoka is a good example of a very top-down approach to building an ecosystem. I'm not saying it's the you know the right way to do it but it's a good example of it right in the mm. sense that you know japan would say that this is the startup city therefore we're going to offer startup visas we're going to you know offer subsidized rents they have startup funds there and so on mm. you know just do, do you i'm just curious because you're sort of coming from an angle of an investor and mm. you know an ecosystem builder do you see Fukuoka as something that's sustainable long term? Do you see, you know, if the government sort of eases off, that will continue to grow, or does it? I mean, absolutely, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? It's it's very interesting. I mean, it's a it's a great example, really. Um, I mean, Fukuoka, for those who don't know, is uh, is a city that uh, that is not only very far away from Tokyo, but it's it's a little bit underrated. Uh, when people think of Japan, they always think of Tokyo, and then Osaka, which is second largest, obviously Kyoto, which is all the history, um, but uh, Fukuoka still has five million people, right? It's, it's a very, very large city. It's, it's still almost double the size of Berlin, uh, which is the largest city in Germany. Um, but yet, it used to have a bit of a sleepy kind of character. It's a seaside town, um, fishing, uh, some tourism, but not too much. And then what happened, um, as far as I know, is that the, the the local mayor changed a few years back, who who is a very uh, uh, open-minded, uh, I think he must be now either in late 30s or early 40s, so he's fairly young, and then he changed things. Um, he was obviously trying to put Fukuoka on the, on the map in Japan in general, and then the tech wave started reaching Japan. Um, and one of the things that they've done, uh, and that you mentioned, is when you, when you as, a, as a foreign uh, startup founder, it's traditionally very hard to to move to Japan because of the visa restrictions, right? And, and, and getting the right visa, and it's kind of complicated, takes a long time. In Fukuoka, what they've done is they opened up the initial visa, which is usually three months, up to 12 months. Hmm. 
So, which means that as a, as a startup founder, if I'm coming from, from Germany, for example, from the UK, whatnot, and I arrive in Fukuoka, which already has now a thriving tech scene, I have 12 months to see if I want to stay in Japan and make it work, and also 12 months to see whether the idea actually works, mm. right? So that's, that's a decent amount of time. Three months is definitely not. So would people from overseas come to Tokyo necessarily and set up a startup here? I know that some, some of them try, but they always face the same issues. So Fukuoka is much more popular, right? Um, it's, it's very interesting. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and if, if we hopefully grow enough, uh, the second uh, location might be in Fukuoka. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Would you like to see that, you know, that experiment in Fukuoka expanded to Tokyo? Do you think it could work? Or do you think they would like to just kind of keep it? It's almost like a concession, isn't it? Like keep it at arm's length down. Keep all those yeah. sort of alternative lifestylers down in Fukuoka. There is obviously some 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 local competition uh, between the cities uh, in in Japan between the major cities. I think from what I heard, uh, the Tokyo uh, metropolitan government is actually busy enough with the Olympics as it yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, the Olympics are in two years. Uh, the Rugby World Cup is next year. So they have their hands full. They're probably not going to be able to focus on it, even if they wanted to. Um, but other cities could uh, could obviously mm. uh, uh, implement a similar uh, platform. So Osaka would be one. Uh, Nagoya, which is actually traditionally a tech uh, tech hub in Japan, uh, also. So so there's definitely a lot of potential. Right. I mean, especially when you know when Tokyo 2020 is done, mm. and people will be looking around for the growth story that all those cities will start looking at their fundamentals and wondering, wow, you know, we're shrinking. How do we, mm. you know, attract talent and how do we attract exactly. vibrant businesses and, you know, the wealth creators effectively into our cities. And that's going to be the challenge. And maybe Fukuoka might be the model for them. But Exactly. 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 We, we don't know. I mean, obviously there's a lot of moving parts involved and mm. such is the case in Japan, isn't it? Not all is what it seems behind the scenes. No, no, exactly. There's a lot to learn. So, okay, just, I mean, in finishing, back to FastX is that mm. there are listeners who will be listening to your story and thinking, well, okay, you know, this sounds really interesting. I could be a Japanese entrepreneur. I could be mm. a foreign entrepreneur moving to Japan. I could be somebody based in Japan. Mm. What sort of entrepreneurs, founders, do you want to see walk through the door? The people that you don't know, not on your radar. I mean, how do they do it? What kind of what do they need to have in their hands? Is it just an idea? Do they need to have a working product? What kind mm. of, do you have any specific bias towards sectors or ages or anything? Just give us an idea of what you want to see walk through the door in FastX. Mm. I mean, so uh, uh, sector-wise, we're, we're fairly open-minded, as I mentioned. We're a generalist uh, uh, angel investor. But we are an angel investor, so that means that we only provide seed money uh, so the check size, uh, and especially for Japan, through the competition that competitions that we're doing every quarter, uh, are fairly small. It's really just literally just angel investment, um, with the idea that after 12 months there might be a follow-on investment. Um, so in terms of uh, a profile, completely open-minded, because there's no there's no not really much point to even restrict age or 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 or, uh, or, or kind of like citizenship or or languages or anything else. I mean, if the idea is good, that's already half of the half of the half of the rent, really. Uh, and then the other half is really the, the the founders themselves, right? 
because um, the the key, and I think that's really f common knowledge these days, is, is not only the idea, it's actually the execution, right? The, the, the founder or the founder team needs to be able to push and, 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 and get things done, ultimately. Um, and, and that's what we're looking for. So how do I convince you when I come to Fast X with my idea, which could just mm -hmm. be an idea, I might not have yeah. a prototype yet. Yeah. How do I convince you that I'm not going to waste your time, that I can actually execute? Um, mm. Do I need to... No, there's, there's, I... no, there's no specific um, traits, really. I mean, obviously, the better uh, the, the founder knows the, the sector that he's focusing on, um, the better, it's really the better. I mean, if the person has worked in the sector, even uh, that would be the best, but a lot of good research also helps. Uh, and the rest is just kind of personality also, right? Because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's got to be someone who, um, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that has to be a salesperson, but would be good in presenting, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's part of also speaking to future investors, talking to business uh, partners, potential partners, talking to clients, um, someone that, uh, that, that can communicate effectively, right? right? So, so that's one. And the rest is just really just kind of like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out in the conversation, basically. So we, we, we meet everyone, um, anyone that's, uh, that's reached out to us, we've met. Okay. Oh, that, yeah. That's really good to hear. I mean, this may be, for, I mean, if you're, used to the, the ecosystem in Silicon Valley, a lot of what we're talking about may be, well, not be new news to you, but for a lot of people in Japan, this is new. Like yeah. they're not aware of how accelerators or angel investors work. They don't know what the expectations are. They don't know what the rules are. So we're putting it out there because we don't want to assume that they know really much about it because in many cases they don't. So mm. you've given us quite a broad remit of people that you, you would be interested to talk to, which is fantastic because there must be a lot of people with ideas out there. W yeah. Would you consider somebody who has a job and is doing this on the side? Would, that, um, would you want them to I mean, commit? How would you read Yeah, that's, that's tricky, right? Because uh, for anyone, for any investor that is, that is uh, prepared to write a check, if you know that the founder can only dedicate a share of his or her time, mm. then kind of like it's not it's not the best setup. I mean, so for example, our term sheet uh, stipulates that the founder will have to uh, uh, have to invest 100% of of, uh, of his time or, or her time. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't work. Um, and uh, running a startup, as as I mentioned already, is 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 more than a full time job. You're going to be thinking about this day and night. Uh, work on weekends, work long hours because it's your own thing, right? You want it to be successful and, and you're going to have a lot of ideas. You want to make a lot of changes. You want to have, you want to do so many things, but there's only so many hours in the day. So if you then do it part time, that gets a bit more tricky. And then there's a conflict of interest, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, uh, that, that'd be harder. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good sign, isn't it? If, if that, they're prepared to commit. That's the first step before you're asking an investor to commit, mm. right? If, if not, somebody's not prepared to commit and take the risk and have skin in the game, so to speak. Exactly. You, exactly. you can't That's expect the, the same of an investor. And mm. just talking about age as well, because obviously I mean, this is quite an important point, especially in Japan, which obviously age is 
a lot, felt a lot more in sort of social structures as well. Yeah. Is that there's this image of startup foundings being 20 year old guys out of Stanford University in pairs of, you know, in a pair of shorts mm. and sandals, right? right. That's kind yeah. of like the, the stereotype, right? But, right. you know, so if, you know, there's, there's a lot of research done out there which shows that some of the best startup founders are in their 40s and 50s. Mm. Not, you know, people who have families, people who have a lot of life experience and so on. I mean, mm. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you have a sort of an opinion on age in terms of what makes the best age for a startup founder? Because I wonder if there's people listening thinking, I'm too old to do this, right? I mean, absolutely not, right? I mean, because um, we, we, we don't have an age range at all. Um, if, you're fresh, if you're a fresh grad out of university, there, 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 there's a certain optimism, right? Uh, open-mindedness to the world. Mm. Uh, maybe also the fact that the person really, you know, doesn't have a family yet and can therefore work really long hours, um, but lacks the experience, right? Um, so what we've seen usually is that on the fintech side, which are obviously tech companies that uh, that are trying to solve a problem in the finance uh, or banking industry, um, those founders are usually a little bit uh, older, saying like 30, mid 30s uh, or 40s, because they would have had to work in finance to understand what yeah. the problem is that they're solving. Uh, if you're setting up an app or a game or an e-commerce uh, a website, then you wouldn't need to really, you know, have that uh, that that experience really, right? So, but we're very, really very open-minded. I mean, one founding team, uh, uh, the, the the main founder is 28. Uh, in another case, the main uh, one of the co-founders is 35. I mean, so it's like, yeah, it's, there's no there's no hard and fast rules. Right, it's right. yeah. good to know. So I think you have to put it out there because a lot of people assume, don't they, that that's sort of oh, the no. case, right? And you may be missing out, both missing out, really. One on one on a good yeah. deal and one on getting good partners as well. And just before I let you go, Simon, sure. something you mentioned as well that I think is worth pointing out. You talked about foundings having a good ability to present. Mm. And obviously, you need somebody to go out there and sell effectively, or you know, go and mm. tell the world about this this app or this product or this service. Mm. One thing I want, I, I guess, that you do, which is worth pointing out to potential founders out there, is that I, I guess you matchmake as well in the sense that you put together teams or put together two co-founders. Because I don't, I think mm. people sometimes feel that if they come to you, they have to have the team ready, don't they? And I guess one of your roles is to say, hey. You know, you guys, you're, you're really good at making stuff. Speak mm. to this guy over here who's really good at selling stuff. You know, maybe you guys should get together and, I mean, how's yeah, the active I mean, value in that? Yeah, it's true. I mean, we basically, we would advise uh, if there was one founder with a good idea, but he has one of the two sides. So one is the business acumen, uh, the other is the, the, the programming skills to, to try to look for, for the other side, really. Um, we don't actually actively help um, because um, it's ultimately the, the 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 combination of the founding team, right? I mean, they need to get along. Uh, it's not so much us having to choose and then finding out after six months they don't gel, right? So that would be that would not be so great either. In the venture builder concept that we're currently contemplating, uh, we would actively help out, but. Again, the founder team would already have to be uh, uh, would already have to be assembled, so to speak. Right? Um, we wouldn't be able to uh, to put a CEO in there if the CTO is already there. So they would have already had to uh, have found it, uh, uh, each other. And then, oftentimes, it's actually the case, right? So they're actually ex-colleagues or they're ex 
university mates or or whatnot or just friends and and the, those combinations are usually the best excellent and great advice as well simon yep. kim everybody from fast tech japan simon before you go a website sure. a url to share so we can find uh, out more oh, about yeah, you? that's easiest just uh, fastx.jp fastx.jp and so for example yep. if i was a, a founder interested in talking to you getting a meeting what's the easiest way sure. to do that uh, oh, the easiest way is uh, uh, we have our um, we have our info at fastx.jp uh, email address on there. We're doing quarterly competitions, so the next competition will be in April. Uh, right. The deadline will be at the end of April, and then the sign up uh, procedure is on our website. Uh, so it's very easy; just a Google Docs uh, um, template to fill out, and then we'll get in touch. Hey, do you have a demo day? Is that open to the public? Um, we don't have a demo day per se. Um, we do multiple stages of interviews and to assess who right. the strongest uh, candidate is. But, but yeah, um, not so, yet. Excellent. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. All the information's there. If you're interested, if you're on the, the you know the founding side, then you know go and make contact with Simon and his team. I'm sure they'll be sure. happy to. I mean, even if it doesn't work out, you, you'll give them advice and point them in the right direction. Absolutely. So it's, it's never Absolutely. anything lost. It's never a waste of time. And also on the venture builder side as well, keep us updated because I'm sure there are listeners out sure. there who could add value or be interested in adding some kind of you know services to that or helping yep. you with that or whatever. However that happy goes. To. Happy to. Simon, a real pleasure. Simon Kim, everybody. Real pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for coming and sharing your journey with us and talking about FastX. We wish you all the best. Please come back on in the future and give us an update on your venture builder and also some news from your batches. That would be great to you know, great. keep tabs with your, yep. your progress and building the ecosystem here in Tokyo. Thanks very much, Graham. Thanks. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.